Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to another episode of the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by my co-host, Jordan Watkins, at Big 75 Fella. Jordan, uh, I, know, I know you're 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 a bit down, you know, after uh, yesterday's game. Uh, other than that, how are we doing? Yeah, uh, you know, the voice is shot. Um, I'm sure everybody can tell just listening to me. But no, things are good. It's now, it is what it is. Obviously, Tampa lost last night. The Saints lost. You're still right there in the in yeah. the thick of everything. So, um, you know, trying to think bigger picture with all of this, but that was a, that was a tough one to lose the other day. <laughs> that was a tough one. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna get into it, guys. Obviously, uh, on today's trench talk for uh, for week six, uh, we got a lot to get to. Most notably, uh, you know, the offense once again holding this back, the the defense holding things down, uh, and of course. We'll bring you a quick message from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag, folks. Football is back, and BetOnline is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the -the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns that you need. You can get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL, college football, and more at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From Week 1 all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. So what are you waiting for? Head to that website today, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Just remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit Bet online where the game starts. All right, Jordan, we're gonna start. We're gonna start with the defense because we're trying to keep things positive to open these shows typically. <laughs> um, but really, I just want to open up with the overall positive of that on a down to down basis. And of course, this is cheap. This is just talk. You know, obviously they didn't win the game. The Falcons outplayed the Commanders down to down. Like, there's no question. Um, and once again, it was just a series of mistakes. And this was basically just last week's game, except this time the Falcons didn't manage to pull out, pull it out despite the mistakes. This time they lost. So um, on the defensive side, you know, you see the 24 points and you're like, wow, this is like one of the worst games that this defense has played all season. Um, and then when you look into it, you realize one score was basically an extension of like a, you know, punt return uh, snafu that got the ball down to like the eleven. And then another one was after a turnover uh, where Washington only Mm -hmm. had to drive like 20 yards. Um, But the Falcons did also, you know, legitimately allow another another touchdown. Um, But the stats show that the Falcons more or less shut down the commanders outside of that. They completely shut them down in the second half Um, outside of that one drive in the second uh, in the third quarter. They held the commanders to under 200 yards. 121 net passing yards, 72 rushing yards, 3.9 yards per play, and two of 10 on third down. I believe both of those conversions came on the first drive of the game, which was the field goal drive. Um, And five sacks, you know? Uh, So the defense, like, once again, they they get punched in the mouth. They come back extremely strong after halftime, and they keep this thing to a level where not only was it winnable, it it should have been won. There were multiple opportunities to do so. so yeah, I mean, where do you want to start first? Should we start with the trenches because that they did they did come alive today. The pass rush finally. I mean, it, pressure had been there, but the sacks finally materialized today. Yeah, no, I, I think we we can should, and the reason why we saw a lot of changes in the front seven this week. Um, you know, the report came out from practice a few days before the game. Arnold Ebicady, D'Angelo Malone taking reps at inside backer, and again when I first saw that. I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, we we don't have a lot of depth there. So if somebody goes down, helps to have someone that's, you know, familiar with what's going on. But 
you saw in this game, Ebikati took a lot of a good amount of snaps there, especially yeah. in pass rush situations. They brought him on blitzes and games and stunts, and it worked out. So finding a different way to use his athleticism, right? That, that we've been talking about, we've coveted, and that was really, really cool to see. Um Another thing I love, obviously, as you know, Kevin, I've been screaming about this for weeks. Calais Campbell lines up inside. He gets sack number 100 as a result of it. Congrats to him. Then the Dirty Bird was sick after. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, there were there were a lot of good things there. Uh, if, if I had to be nitpicky about the, the front, though, there were times where the lack of edge rush, and it was better, Right, you saw um Bud Dupree had his moments, he had a great get off. Um, and, and of course, speaking of the front, I have to give my well wishes to uh Charles Leno and his family. Obviously, they, they lost their their uh little daughter, so he didn't play in the game uh for the commanders. So, you know, well wishes uh to his family. I know that's gotta be tough, but um Sam Howell made a couple of plays in this game by escaping the pocket. Mm-hmm. and part of that happens because you still haven't figured out fully the edge rush component of this pass rush. So that that would be my nitpick part of it. But, no, I mean, like you said, overall, solid performance by the defense. Um, you know, I think that kick, that putt return, like you said, it was by Jameson Crowder and super short field. At that point, it's like, okay, let's see. Let's hope and pray this defense holds him to three here instead of set of six. Um, but at the end of the day, and I know we're talking about the defense, and so this is more of an offensive point. The the, the offense has to help this defense out, yeah. right? Um, we we saw glimmers and glimpses of what the offense could be last week. You even saw it, in my opinion. You saw some of it. Yes. On, uh, during this game absolutely um yeah. and so what i mean by that and of course if you've been a falcons fan for a while you saw it in the super bowl defenses do get tired they they get worn out so you keep them on the field so much and so often and so frequently bad things will happen um now give credit again to the defense because they uh, had to deal with a lot of short fields like you said but after what we we have to stop coming on this show and saying this week after week we have to stop mm-hmm. it so yeah. it's it's got to change offensively but you know again twenty four points it is what it is um, yeah the yards obviously there's a big yard differential in this game but that also is going to happen when you have short fields mm-hmm. it's not like the commanders had a long way to go for yeah. most of their drives uh, but. Yeah, it's it's it, like I said, it's it's just stuff. You got to do a better job containing the pot, containing the quarterback, especially these mobile young mobile guys. And edge rush is going to be the the way that that gets done. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we love Clayus Campbell on this program. We never slander the man, but it, it it's becoming pretty clear that he's had he's just limited if he has to get out in space. Um, it's just it it's a it's a it's a lot. He's a liability in space. Like it. it I think in his prime, he was like the rare man at his size that could actually mm-hmm. do that, like could actually play on the end at six eight, you know, two ninety essentially. At this point, it's just it's ugly sometimes when he has to try to get out there, and he gives maximum yeah. effort. Like I'm not questioning his effort one bit, and sometimes he's still able to push guys out of bounds and, and force the play out, but he's just not a plus out there. And I think at this point, the Falcons need him on the edge because they just don't really have a lot of trusted guys there yet. So the hope is that maybe Ebikati develops, maybe Zach Harrison develops a little bit more. Um, you know, Bud Dupree has started to come on, definitely. So hopefully he can be one of your guys. Um, but and and you know, Campbell as an as a run defending edge is absolutely fine um, because yeah. most of the time he's just going to crash down, and take out the tight end and the tackle, and that's sort of his job on that play. They're supposed to be a linebacker, you know, coming down outside that gap to to seal it off. Um, and he's done that really well and he's continued to do that well, but you know, if he's the, the end man and the quarterback has a run option out there and he has to try to chase down the quarterback, it's, unless he has a terrific angle, it's going to be really difficult for him. Um, and we saw Sam Howell take advantage of that in this game. Uh, we've seen running backs take advantage when they were able to get outside. Um, and you know, I I think he's still a, a very talented pass rusher. 
he just probably needs to play on the interior, um, which is what you know Baltimore was doing with him. But I real I, re- I recognize that the Falcons did promise him that he would get to play edge. But at a certain point, we may have to split the snaps more. It's not like you can't play edge, but in pass rushing situations, he's he's still clearly a very good interior pass rusher. I mean, that sack is proof of it. Mm-hmm. He dominated that rep. So, well, I mean, it's just like in baseball when you have a player that gets older, and you want well, I mean, it, it kind of changes now since there's a universal DH, but. In the past, when it's, hey, this guy's really good, still offensively, not as mobile, whether it's like third baseman, corner outfielder, you not as mobile as they once were, what do you do? Put them at first base, right? To mm-hmm. limit how much they have to move around and run. I think it's the same thing for Clay. It's like he said, it's not that he isn't good anymore. Look, Father Time gets everybody. <laughs> you know, He's like, like 38 gets, years old. He's the everyone. oldest defensive player yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. Exactly. It gets everyone. And so if you limit some of his responsibilities in terms of, again, that pursuit, contain things like that and put them on the inside, he shows you if you if he only has to go a short amount of space, he's got you. Right. Mm-hmm. So just situations where if it's obvious pass situation, right, third and long, things like that. I'd love to see him on the inside more um, or. Even if the Falcons want to do like a five-man front. Yeah, exactly. I was so, going to say three-four look. Yeah, put him at you exactly know, five tech or something in that alignment. Well, or even reduce him down, have like a nose and two or... three techs. Yeah, or yeah, tech. and have two three techs. Yeah. He's one, so you can still have Grady, David Onyemata, and Calais out there at the same time. Mm-hmm. Find something to work with that. But I know at the same time, obviously, a big part of that is what do you what do you have on the outside? Right. Um. So I said Vikings. If you want to keep losing, you know that's the that's. Small. Man, <laughs> it's just like they. I feel like Daniel Hunter would be like the the last Infinity Stone uh, for this defense. Like it's just like you have this great secondary that's really coming together with a plus nickel corner and D Alford, AJ Terrell is AJ Terrell, and then Jeff Akuda looks mm-hmm. like what we hoped for. Like this is if you were yeah. hoping, like this is like you were hoping for this. Like and this is like the the best realistic outcome, um, where like. I think according to PFF, he's actually like outplayed Akuda over the last two games, which is you know it's PFF, so take it with a grain of salt. But still, like it's a he's playing at like a starting outside cornerback level where he's actually a, an impact player, which is what people have been waiting to see, obviously from him since he was drafted, you know, in the top five. Um, so I'm happy for him on that. But you got Jesse Bates on the back end, so I mean maybe you could say the safety spot next to Bates could use an upgrade, but the linebackers look good. Nate Landman has been. I mean, an upgrade over Troy Anderson, which, again, isn't necessarily shocking that he would be immediately, like, better. But I think it's not even meant as, like, a slight towards Troy Anderson. But, like, Nate Lamon has come in and played, like, one of the better linebackers in the NFL. Like, um, next to Caden Ellis, who we know is already a pretty good linebacker. So, like, he's been the better linebacker even between him and Caden Ellis at, at times. So, that that's not meant as a slight towards Trey Anderson at all. It's more like a, wow, you just found this UDFA guy and we've talked about Nate Lamb to death. So we're not going to give you guys another Nate Lamb sermon, <laughs> you know, but put some respect on, put some respect on, on uh, Nate Lamb's name, but they get that top edge rusher in here where they can now make Calais Campbell, a part-time edge rusher, part-time interior player. And I think you just level up the entire defensive line at that point um, to where, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the missing piece. Now, who knows if they'll be able to get it done? But I, I really like if they can get this done for a second round pick, they should do it tomorrow. Like if they can get this done for a second round pick, if whether they want, you know, they can't trade the Jaguars pick yet because they're not we're not sure which one it'll be, right. whether it's a third or a second. But so they could probably only trade their own second. But um, th- they can afford to not only make the move, but they can afford to give Hunter his big contract next year. Um and they could even trade for him and immediately extend him to to mm-hmm. to you know fix the cap space issues that that will present. Um, so if like I don't really see a downside. Like I, they need that top edge rusher based on where we think they're going to pick in the mid teens, probably at the lowest. You're not going to have the chance to really get a guy you're expecting to be as good as Daniel Hunter anytime soon at pick 15 or later, hopefully. And they have the money. And you're not going to get a top edge rusher like this on the open market. Uh, so, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, you can only preach so the, much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I mean the thing too, like you said, with the draft, it's always hit or miss. You know, yeah. it, it, you're you're shooting for a crap shot, and that's why I'm always going to be in the boat of if you can get the proven commodity over the hope, you go for the proven. Um, and here's the thing, you know, obviously the Vikings won yesterday against the Bears, nineteen thirteen. So that changes things because now you have two games i think two weeks left before the trade deadline which is on halloween and just looking at the viking schedule they could go zero and two right they have san francisco next week at home um as a monday night game and they have to go to green bay but the way the nfc looks right now is they're going to feel like they're still in it, even if it isn't for the division. I think we all agree that the Lions are probably going to take the, the NFC North. But the wild card is still very wide open. And this is where, again, I think looking at it from a different angle, the Falcons' loss to the Commanders also hurts in this regard too. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you allowed that bubble of the wild card to look even muddier, right? Instead of pulling apart from it, not even just from the NFC South. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm still, yeah, yeah. I still, NFC South still in mind, but I'm just saying, if you look at the playoff bubble completely, the more that you lose games like this, the more you let some of these other teams have belief. Oh, yeah, see, we're still in it. And if you're still in it, why are you going to trade guys away? So just, just another, you know, way to look at it, too. Yeah. No. And, and so we'll, we'll have to see how that develops, but, you know, the Vikings just, I mean, yeah, they beat the Bears without Justin Fields. Like, I mean, are you really feeling super good about that? You, like, barely scraped by that Bears team without their quarterback. So it's like, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, maybe, that, I mean, the Falcons did this for a lot of last year, too, where they had delusions that they could still make the playoffs. So, um, and it made led to them making some very poor decisions, which we're probably going to talk about here in a minute. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think if they lose to the 49, if they, if they lose those next two games, then they're probably going to be sellers at that point but who knows um who knows exactly what they'll do and um it may take more than a second to get to neil hunter given his age and production um you know he does have the injury history that's really the only thing but um you know i i if it's just a second if that's the price i would not hesitate which probably means more than that (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) right well who who knows i mean you see some of these uh the, the the trade market in the NFL has been very weird yeah. the last few years. I mean, even going back to the uh, Christian McCaffrey trade, when when I saw what the Niners had to give up for, I was like, wait, really? That's it for for him? You know, um, you you look. It, it's not like, like for example, if you look at the NBA, whenever these um, these superstars demand trades. You see how much you have to move, right? Damian Lillard goes to Milwaukee. You had to give up like Drew Holiday, two, three other players, a pick, like all these things. And then in the NFL, it's just like, okay, uh, well, here's a sixth and a fifth for this guy that's been really good for four years. Uh, okay. So it's just one of those things you can't tell. It, it could be a second. It also could be less, just just based off of what I've seen. I mean, even Randy Gregory this year just got traded for nothing. Yeah. Right. So it's the market in the NFL is so weird. Where I feel like, and this is just my guess. I'm sure the the Vikings phone has been buzzing a lot the last few weeks. Do I think someone may have offered them a second round pick? Possibly. Do I think that it would take just, just if let's just say nobody offered one, right? Like, it, and it was the first call the Vikings got. Do I think it would take a second round pick? I actually don't, based off how the NFL market has been lately, right? But uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. But again, like I said us losing, them winning this past week definitely hurt the the, the chances of that happening. Yeah, at least not this, like anytime soon. Like they're probably gonna yeah. wait it out till the trade deadline, which was probably the most likely scenario anyway. But um, you know, we'll see. Uh, but at least at, at this rate, hopefully we'll get to see the Falcons get more snaps to Ebicady, um, who like you know to his credit, like look had two weeks where he was getting more snaps and didn't have anything to show for it. This week, 
against a team that does give up a lot of sacks to, to be fair you know we, we knew this going in he, he gets the two sacks and and uh and a hurry as well for three total pressures on just uh nine pasture snaps so that's you know a 33 percent uh pressure rate which is pretty nuts um now that's not likely to continue but you know for for comparison bud dupree also had two sacks and one hurry but he did it on 21 uh pass rush snaps in this game so i think it's clear abikati deserves more reps um they for for no other reason than that they just don't really have anyone else but like mm-hmm. i think he just he they need to figure out if the, if he can work in this scheme or not and i i don't see any reason that he can't work in this scheme as a pass rusher it's more the the run defending um and like i don't think he's been a negative as a run defender he's certainly not been like Calais campbell as a run defender but uh, yeah, sure yeah yeah but like you know one he like when i scouted him my thing was like look he's small he does have good length. He's like six two and a half, but he has over thirty four inch arms. So he, it, the height doesn't hurt him as much as it would hurt a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. But he's just not. He can't carry that much more mass because of his frame. Like six two and a half, you can't stack up to be two seventy at six two and a half. Like it's, it you're just not going to be able to keep your mobility at that size. Whereas like guy like you know Zach Harrison at like six seven, you know he could get the two seventy. Saw him get sure. in the action yeah. this week too. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. good to see. Mm-hmm. So. It's just tougher for him to put on that weight. But I thought he was an excellent pursuit player. I thought he was a great backside run defender. I thought he could set the edge decently well. He's just not a guy that's going to be able to take on offensive tackles and like win regularly in a run defense rep. Like it's just not really his game. Yeah. I mean, in that, in that case, you know, it's, it's going to be about your technique, mm-hmm. right? Your hand placement and like I said, using your long arms to not let offensive linemen get into you. And I think a perfect example of that is, I mean, you can look at one of his Penn State buddies down in Dallas. Michael Parsons might be an inch taller, right, than than Epicady. Um, And I I think he bulked up this year to about, what, 245, 250, somewhere in that range. So, you know, it it can be done. I mean, we've seen even smaller edges in the league before. Elvis Doomerville, I believe, was in the league for over a decade and was like, what, 5'11"? Um, yeah, very so you, so you unique can, player. Yeah, but yeah, the very technique. very unique. And I'm not, and mm-hmm. I, and I'm not trying to say like because he did it, everybody <laughs> can do it. Yeah. And, and no, yeah. he was he was very special. My point being though is that if you do have size limitations, and I mean I I had him like I'm a tall guy, but I played on the interior to like 275, mm-hmm. you know, and you have so did Solomon Thomas who I was with and some other guys, and we had guys you know these offensive linemen, even in college are still 300, 310, 315. But if your technique is there, you can make up for it. So that, that's, that's the thing for him that he's just got to keep improving on. I'm sure he is. And he's with the right guy with Ryan Nielsen. He knows all about that. So he's, he'll, he'll be okay. Yeah. And I think people mistook my tweet about like, like saying that uh, there's been a lot of talk about trading him. I don't think it's going to happen. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen in the off season as like, they should trade him in the off season. Like I'm just, no, I'm just saying like, don't think that he's going to get traded in season. If it's going to happen, mm-hmm. I would be watching the off season, particularly after free agency. If they go out and like, maybe they do add Daniel Hunter and they sign another guy, then it's like, okay, well, are they really going to hold a spot for him? You know, or are they going to make the second round pick like the fourth guy on the depth chart, like long term? Or are they going to try to flip him for picks? That that would be more the situation where they would be looking. Yeah, to well, I think I think the sign of moving him to inside backer and they had production almost right away is going to would would save him from that, in my opinion. Um, now, D'Angelo Malone, that might be a different story because remember, like I said, he was the other guy that was moved inside, mm-hmm. and we still haven't seen much of him. So Just special teams, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So. He would be the guy that, you know, potentially we'll see what happens. But uh, I think I think Epicady is going to be OK. Yeah, I think so, too. And for the record, for everyone that, that didn't follow in training camp, they these guys like Epicady and Malone were doing these linebacker drills all through training camp as well. Like this is not a new development. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been it's been ongoing that they would do coverage drills with the linebackers and they would go back and do pass rush drills with the, the edge guys. Um, but I you know, I think they have a tight, like, you know, and, and Caden Ellis is a perfect example of this. Like they have a type of that sort of like bigger linebacker mm-hmm. type that they want that guy to be versatile enough to play coverage and to rush. 
So for like the Caden Ellis, Nate Lamb, and you know Troy Anderson guys, they're gonna have them learn how to rush. And for like the Arnold Abbey, D'Angelo Malone, Lorenzo Carter's, they're gonna have them learn how to cover. But they they sort of I mean it's part of Nielsen's scheme. He wants to be aggressive yeah. and be able to send anybody. Like everyone should be a decent pass rusher. Everyone should stop the run. You know that sort of thing. Um, and I think we'll see more and more of those wrinkles mixed in as everybody gets more comfortable. And you know right now I think he's sort of keeping it a little bit more simple and. Um, because mm-hmm. they don't want to have the coverage bust on the back end. Like when you get really exotic with your blitzes and who you're sending all over the place, everybody behind them has to be 100% on point or there's just going to be a massive hole in the zone. So, um, and even sometimes there's just going to be a hole in the zone anyway, because that's what happens when you rush extra guys. But, um, I'm interested to see how that plays out long-term with, with both Katie and Malone. Um, well, that's, what's so fun too, in my opinion about Jeff Okuda being everything that we could have hoped for. And then some, but then also D. Alford playing mm-hmm. as well as he had this year, the more confidence that you have, to your point, the more confidence that you have on the back end of, you know, they're, they're going to be lock and point, the more you can experiment and go with things up, up, up front in the front seven and bring in certain guys in, in certain places. So I think you saw some of that, right, this, this, this week. Uh, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the secondary probably faced the best receiver that they've seen this year so far, talking about Terry McLaurin. Um, and that's no disrespect to some other guys that we've seen this year, but Terry McLaurin is a dude, as we all know. And he, he got us a couple of times. Now, again, part of that, too, was also Sam Howell having the ability to extend plays by getting outside of the pocket. But I think that the more you go on the season, the more the good things that the secondary individually and as a group put on tape, the more you can trust, we can gamble a little bit with these guys doing what they're doing on the back end. And you'll you'll see it. Now, yeah. as a group, as a defensive group, I, I do want to say this. Probably the – and it wasn't a bad one per se, but probably the worst tackling game of the season. Yeah, I would say so. And a, even then. Good, <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't, yeah. didn't want to say it was a yeah. – like bad. it was okay, but – I think that was that was the most missed tackles I've seen this year. Um, you saw that parlay into some bigger plays for for the Commanders. Um, but look, you know, seven seven missed tackles, I believe, as a, as a defensive group, which again, too many. I, I know, like the the team knows that the the, the defense knows that the coaches know it. But I, I'll sit here and say, if seven tackles is the most amount of tackles you miss in a game. I think we're pretty you can good. Live in that, in you that can live regard. with that. You can live with that. Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't exactly. force like three missed tackles on one play. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's going to happen sometimes. Like the defense is not going to be perfect every game. They're, they were bound to have a game where they weren't as sharp. But like even that, I, I struggled to call this like a bad game for them just because yeah, like that the, where that punt return ended up was literally the worst possible place. Like it yeah. was at the 11. So they got a first down at the one after like on, I think it was like second down they tackled him at the one they got the first down it was first and goal from the one it's like yeah that that is literally you can't have a worse situation than that as a defense where they get a first down at the one yard line i mean because i think if if not for that there would have been a reasonable chance that they could have stuffed them on one more play at the one um to bring up like a fourth and goal but instead you know first and goal at the one so not not a whole lot of hope there to stop that i mean other than a miracle but ultimately you know it especially in the second half um you know they they have that that one score that's basically set up and, and gift wrapped to them by Desmond Ritter. Um, but you know, <laughs> and well, that's a good transition into that. Other than that, I think they they played really well. But I did want to just shout out the defense one more time. Um, that the Falcons are third in pressure rate in the NFL at twenty six point six percent, which is really good. I can't remember the last time we've been anywhere close mm-hmm. to that. Now they're not very. I mean, they're like I think have the fifth fewest sacks at 10 and that was after five this week but but i think what i'm trying to say is that that's probably going to start to correct itself a little bit um because they're i think they're the only team in the top 10 that has fewer than 15 sacks uh so maybe it, there's other things going on there that probably are to some extent but um they are getting a lot of pressure which so if you're not getting pressure at all that's bad at least they're getting pressure and starting to get a few sacks but the other thing that i thought was interesting was that we expected this to be a pretty blitz heavy scheme and they're actually only blitzing on 19.7% of their snaps, which I think is like 18th or something like that. So they're actually 
a little bit a little bit below average in blitz rate um and they're still getting that pressure so i think that means that they could even ratchet up the pressure more if they wanted to by sending those blitzes because we know how talented guys like Caden Ellis are as a blitzer so um just those are some interesting tidbits after six games about where they are sort of are as a pass rush where they're I think better statistically in terms of the pressure rate than they've been on the stat sheet. And hopefully we'll start to see that continue to, to correct um, because they have the guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, we, we, we've talked about it in, um, in previous shows about the guys in the middle, right? You know, David Onyemata is still 11th right now in terms of defense, interior defensive lineman to pass rush for win rate. Um, Grady Jarrett, he slipped down a little bit, but he's he's still top 35, which I know usually if you think about it, it's like, yeah, that's not that good. But remember, every team usually is going to have two interior defensive linemen. So let's just, yeah, two starters. So let's say 64, right? So he's already, he's in the top half of that still. So you have guys, especially on the interior, you can make that happen. And Again, it's one of those things where I, I really do believe with what we've seen on this defense, especially on the back end, Ryan Nielsen, the, the the secondary has more than earned Ryan Nielsen's trust to say, hey, we need to rely on you guys to hold up while we're blitzing. You can do it. Uh, you also have to give credit to the Falcons' run defense because more times than not, they're holding – they're getting teams behind schedule on first down or second down because for the most part – this run defense isn't giving up a lot, especially yeah. in obvious run situations. So they're allowing, you know, the 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 secondary the chance to to protect, and they're allowing the front to rush. I mean, again, it's every defensive meeting room you can ever go in. They'll say you have to earn the right to rush the passer. Yeah. And with what the Falcons are doing run defense wise, they are absolutely doing that. Yeah, that they have been in that. That's great to see. And they have, after that 150-yard week one game to the Panthers, they've been much yeah. better against the run. I think they're now 11th in both uh, yardage allowed and yards per carry uh, allowed. Um, yeah, they're at 3.7 yards per carry allowed now. So, you know, much better there. And I think we all sort of expected that given who Ryan Nielsen is and sort of what he preaches. But it's nice to see that, that definitely come together. Um, and another... Great stat. Uh, Falcons are second and third down defense, which that is one of the mm-hmm. that is one of the sure yeah. signs of a good defense. Um, they're second. They're allowing just a thirty one point one percent conversion rate, and they've also faced a pretty high number of third downs, uh, seventy four third downs. They've only allowed twenty three conversions. Um, and then in terms of the red zone rate, they're also very good. They're sixth in red zone uh, red zone touchdown rate. They only allow a forty three point eight percent touchdown rate in the red zone. Uh, so those are two, you know, further down stats. Not a lot of people check that show whether you're a good defense in specific situations. And those are two of the most important ones, uh, certainly. Yeah, so definitely. they've been everything we could hope for through six games. And I think at this point we know it's not a mirage, uh, certainly. But we should probably, you know, start talking about things that are less fun uh, in, in terms of the offense here, which like, oh boy, I, I watched it again. And like, there, I think there's a tendon... This is not calling out any fans in particular, definitely not just Falcons fans, but there's a tendency to just want to blame one person. For some people, mm-hmm. it's, it was Arthur Smith's fault. For some people, it was Devin Ruder's fault. But I think there's a few people out there that think it was all Drew Dahman's fault. Um, but, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever you got to, whatever you got to do. But it's never, it's never just one. Now, maybe there are some interceptions where it's like, okay, that, that was just, that was definitely just the quarterback's fault. Like, but even on the, the one that I think we should put most of the blame on Ritter, which was the one that he should have just thrown out the back of the end zone that he didn't, the call came in late. The snap was late. He had to pick it up off the turf and then he was head pressure in his face. So like there were a lot of things that went wrong prior to Ritter throwing that thing short that were not his fault. Now the throw itself was his fault, but Mm-hmm. You can't just vacuum out the throw like that was the only thing in the whole play. Um, so just keep that in context, guys. But ultimately, like I, I think on rewatch, Ritter was like dealing at various points in this game where there was a lot of there were a lot of excellent throws. There were some throws that were not connected on, like that Van Jefferson throw. But again, like people are like, oh, Ritter overthrew it. Like, they practiced together for like two days. Like I'm surprised they threw that ball at all. I mean, like it, I'm, I'm I with mean, you. 
And it was like, I mean, it was close, but it's like, I, I'm not expecting instant connection with a guy who just arrived in the facility. Like, I think people that don't know the game, it's like, you can't just, you don't just have instant. Maybe you, with some guys, you have instant chemistry, but with almost 99% of players, it's going to take you like some time to learn where to put that ball that they can go get it. I mean, if only we had a speedy receiver on the <laughs> roster who's been here the whole time that we could have run that route with. If only. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Arthur Smith doesn't throw the ball to people know. that aren't at least six one. Okay, that's the rule. I, I guess so. <laughs> Goodness. But he was open, so that's a good sign, hopefully, for the future. But yeah. then you know, there was the Bijan sideline bomb that you could tell Bijan's not a receiver, right? <laughs> he He's he still didn't learning. really he didn't really know how to catch that one, so he went for the one handed grab. Yeah, uh, which. Would have been really cool if it worked, but yeah, I mean, you got to flip your body around and catch that one, Bijan. But again, it's like that's how much trust they have in Bijan as a receiver that they're throwing him go routes down the sideline, mm-hmm. essentially. So, um, but th- those were, I mean, I think the, the Bijan one was on target, certainly. So there were some missed opportunities there. I thought Ritter collected, uh, connected on a lot of passes that were really nice. I mean, threw for over 307 yards. Um, you know, the, the three interceptions obviously weighed us down, but like, I don't think this was anywhere close to Ritter's worst game. I mean, if you compare this no. to week four, it's complete. Like this was closer to last week than it was to week four. Um, I, I, I would agree. So it's like, I, I don't think we're as like, I know people are just right back on the, he's a bum needs to be benched. Like all this stuff train like that. I think that's the wrong takeaway from this. I think my takeaway is that this is a young offense. This is a young mistake prone offense. That's still finding its footing. And this was another week where, they just made a bunch of stupid mistakes. Um, and I, I don't, and if Desmarder can, if Desmarder can have these games where he's dealing throws for two touchdowns, but has some picks like it, that's progress from like several weeks ago where it was like, we're throwing for 150 yards and picks and no touchdowns and scoring single digits. Like to, to Ritter's credit, the offense did get in position to score multiple times. They didn't do it, you know, because of the interceptions, but like they kept they kept marching back up and down the field in that fourth quarter, which was very mm-hmm. frustrating, obviously to watch. But the one the, the nice thing that I think we've seen in the last two weeks is that the passing game has sort of come alive. It hasn't been clean necessarily, but it's come alive, and that is a big step for this team. Um, but it's still it just seems like it's still very far from a, a finished product. Yeah, when I look at the past game, it's good that it's come alive, but it's also a bad thing that it's had to. The reason why I say that is because you look at it now two weeks in a row, where has the run game been? Yeah. Uh, I think this is the second week where you could look at the majority of the offensive line and say they got pushed around up front. Now, I get it. That's a good front for the commanders, right? Like, I, I have to give them credit, but... I think when you think of the commanders in their front, you think more so of what they can do pass rush wise, not what they do stopping the run. So that, that was a bit disappointing. And even if you want to look ahead to next week, you're going to go up against Vita Vea, who, you know, he's going to probably line up a lot on Drew Dahlman than just deal one-on-one. And I told you I'm higher on Drew Dahlman than most, but the one place where I am concerned with him is when you have pressure and size right in your face so um, that's going to be a challenge. And then also, if they aren't the best inside linebacker duo in the league, they're second behind yeah. Fred Warner and, and Drake Greenlaw. But, you know, what um, Levante David and Devin White have been able to do for years, they, they are a top two, like I said, if, if not one, they're a top two inside linebacker duo in the league. So they're going to be flying around. You're going to have Vita Vey up front eating double teams. He's also a pretty good pass rusher, too, for as big as he is. You've got to figure some things out yeah. Um, right now up front in terms of what's going on with this pass game because, don't get me wrong, I, I'm happy to see that Desmond can throw for 300 if, if we have to. I still feel like the ideal situation for this offense, you get – 120, 130 on the ground, and not even just the numbers, because I know we had, I think, was it 102 on the yeah. ground this game, so you weren't that far off, but still be around four, 4.3 yards of carry, that because that wasn't the case. If you Minimum. take away Desmond yeah. Ritter's, yeah, yeah. like if you, if you take out Desmond Ritter's two rushes, that you weren't close to that in this game. Yeah. And then if Desmond throws for about 250 to 270, 
you're good. I think that that's the sweet spot for, for this offense. But as of late, you almost have to throw for 300 plus because you haven't got the run game going. Yeah. And that's, um, which, that's the weirdest which is, thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, I don't understand it. Like, uh, it, 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 both two weeks in a row now, they've not been able to move anyone on the ground. Um, the, the run blocking has just not been there where Bijan's just having to duck and dodge guys in the backfield pretty much every snap. There's no holes being opened. Um, it just seems like the timing of the blocks is off. Like not, not necessarily that they're getting pushed back into the backfield, but that like they're not hitting these like combinations that they need to, to set up the lane for these guys to get more than past the line of scrimmage because further apart, they're, they're still pretty good at getting past the line of scrimmage, but like we've seen so many two yard gains in the last two weeks, mm-hmm. like just barely getting past the line of scrimmage. And like, if you can get Bijan to that third yard, it's probably a 10 yard run, but it's just like, mm-hmm. they haven't even been able to get that done. And it's just bizarre for this team where that was really their backbone for an entire season. And like, some of it has to do with teams selling yeah. out, right? But like last year, teams were selling out every single week, and they still did it. So I don't I, know what's I was changed. Saying, yeah. I was saying this yesterday. When you look at the complete picture of this offense, everything that you have is so much better this year than what it was last year. I love Marcus Mariota. I think Desmond Ritter is a better quarterback than Marcus. The receiving group is a lot better than what it was last year. Yet you can't like so you have so much other things so many other things that you have to worry about and think about but still you can't run the ball as efficiently as last year i mean think about it like outside of drake london last year i think what daryl hodge daryl hodge and um demir bird were our other top three receivers yeah. and alameda that's right yeah, that's yeah. right my apologies alameda yeah. um put some respect yeah, so on like, the man <laughs> I know you're no that, that that was that is a big miss by me. Um but like still like I would grad, gladly take Drake London, Mac Hollins, um, you know, if we would ever use him, Scotty Miller, but now Van Jefferson Van Jefferson, I would gladly take that group as what it is now over what we had last year. Um, where again everybody knew we wanted to run the ball last year. Yeah, he still found a way to make it happen. Remember the game against the Cleveland Browns where Marcus throws a pick. You say, "All right, well, Marcus, we want to take the ball out of your hands." You run the ball. Was it like 15, 16 yes. times yeah. in a row, and they couldn't stop it? Yeah, it scored so <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, Beautiful. I don't, yeah. So yeah, so like, and so I don't want to hear from people saying, "Oh, well, people are selling out." All right, cool. Sell out if you want. I'm not expecting you to get seen... six yards per carry. Can you get yeah, four? Yeah, I'm not I'm like... – exactly. <laughs> but the, the, it's just like the feel right now for me is that this is a – the feel is that it's a finesse offensive line over in imposing offensive line. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is – I'll give you an example from my playing days. Remember, uh, when I was at Stanford, we went against the Chip Kelly Oregon teams. Yes. And what they love to do, they would try to move you laterally as much as possible because they wanted to go so fast, so quickly. Everybody remembers how up tempo they were with um, you know, guys like LaMichael James, D'Anthony Thomas, of course, Falcons legend, Kenyon Barner. Um, they would as soon as you get out of one that one gap, they had the speed, boom, it's like, all right, boom, we're gonna take this for 60, 70, 80 yards. Now we saw that, and so our our assignment and our what our game plan was okay. They want to go laterally. Let's let's hit them physically to make them go backwards. Like don't don't try to go speed for speed because if you do that, they're going to beat you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead, let's just hit them in the mouth, and that's going to stop all that lateral movement. And for you know most of our matchups against them, it works. Mm-hmm. And so I, I right now with what I see from the Falcons, it feels like we know it's an athletic group. Right. Like I, I definitely want to see them continue to use their athleticism. But who's who's the person right now that's gonna show that like Harvey Dahl type mentality? You know, remember right. we, we we'd almost be good for a late hit a game from Harvey Dahl, but like it sent a message, yeah. right? Tyson Claybo would send a message, Keenan Forney would send a me- like you you would feel them. And right now it just feels like 
I don't think fronts are really feeling this offensive line in the run game um, as much as they need to. And like I said, especially these last two weeks, I think that's really shown. Yeah. I mean, and you would expect Caleb McGarry and Chris Lynchard to be those guys. I know Bergeron was known, you know, I mean, I thought he certainly looked like he had that level of nasty, but like you don't expect necessarily a rookie to be doing that right off the bat. He, he, he shouldn't, he shouldn't, lead, he shouldn't yeah. lead it. Yeah. 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 He's just getting his feet wet. He's getting his head on straight going out there. And to his credit, I think he's been fine. Like he has not been a liability. Um, yeah. But it's just, I think Jake Matthews is, is slowing down a little bit. Again, getting into those mid thirties, it's going to happen. You have to over, you have to sort of overcome that with technique. And I think he's capable of doing that, but it, it's an adjustment for him being one of the more athletic left tackles in the league in his, in his heyday. Um, but like, I think this is where like Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom, like you guys have to be the engine on that right side that we can go crush teams. And and maybe Caleb McGarry this week was still dealing with the repercussions of his knee injury. Maybe he wasn't a hundred percent. I don't know. Um, and Lindstrom has been playing better, but it's like Lindstrom can't yeah. do it by himself. And exactly. Um, you know, I, I think the snap issues contribute to a little bit where you're not getting a clean snap off. You're not getting the ball to the running back as quickly. Now the running back has a half second less to read. Time's a little play. off, yeah. Um, you know, and so there's just little things, but it, it all it all just reeks to me of like this is like an offense. It looks like a young offense. It's just not gelled. Um, like I think the timing of stuff seems off. It just it's just like a it's like a step short, and this is what I kept saying about Ritter like early on was like he just seems like a tick behind where he needs to be. And I think, to be fair, like, I think his timing has gotten a lot better over the last two weeks. Like, he looks more comfortable. The mistakes haven't necessarily gone fully away yet. Uh, hopefully, we'll get there. But it it just seems like everything's a tick off right now. Um, and thankfully, it's I think it's just a tick off. But, you know... It, it it's not it's not working the way it should be. I, mean, I know it's obvious to everyone that watches the games that it, it's not working the way it should be. But and I think maybe part of the problem too is like, and this is more of like a meta discussion, but like the the defense is so good that I think now it's like the pressure's on the offense to be like like if the defense mm. was bad still it would be like oh well the team is just not there yet like we're everything's coming together whatever. But because the defense is like playoff caliber like ready to go. Now the pressure's on the offense to be like, okay, well, this should be a, a team that's winning 10-plus games, no question. Because before, the question mm-hmm. was like, can the defense become average? You know, now mm-hmm. the question is, can the offense become average because the defense is like top five? So um, mm-hmm. it's I think that's ratcheted up the pressure on the offense a lot more than I think folks were expecting at this point in the process. Yeah, that, that's that's a fair take. Um, and I, I definitely agree with it. I, I would just take it a, another level up in terms of, you have an offensive-minded head coach. Yeah. The pressure was always going to be on the offense to get things done. Just just off that alone, I, I again, like I was saying yesterday, your your team is supposed to be a reflection of who your head coach is, right? So even the year that the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, um, you know, twenty sixteen season, it took a while for the defense to to find that groove. And once they did, though, it was it was beautiful. And I know everyone's going to remember the offense for what they did that year, and it was historic. Don't get me wrong, but the defense was very good down the stretch of that season. And even going into 2017, you had a really good defense that year too. Well, Dan Quinn was your head coach. That was partially what you were looking to see. It's a, a great D coordinator. What he did with the Seahawks, you wanted to see that carry over to what he was doing as a head coach. So I'm saying that to say now with Arthur Smith, an offensive-minded guy, so you're always going to want to see and hope that the offense looks a certain kind of way. Now, I now I agree with you too from the standpoint of that you know the de- the defense looking good it puts more pressure. But I also put it this way: the defense is looking good, at least from the the coaching standpoint. The defense looks good of a guy that just got here, right? Like Ryan Nielsen wasn't day one higher um when Arthur Smith took the job. Remember that was that was Dean Pease. So yeah. it's someone who just got here. You're in year three and this unit's already looking better than what your unit's looking like. That that also I think plays it plays something into it too in terms of the fan standpoint. Like, wait a minute. How did he just get in here this quickly and have it look like this? And we still have all these questions about what what you're doing and how your unit looks like. So yeah, I mean it's very much I, and I agree. It's like 
we we expect more from the offense, I think, for a lot of reasons, and that's one of the biggest ones is that, look, this is supposed to be your baby, Arthur Smith. You're supposed yeah. to be the mastermind. Um, so why are we not there? And especially, like, the run game stuff. like Because the passing game, I think we were exactly. a little bit more questioning, like, okay, maybe he does need help with the passing game. Maybe we should be getting a passing game coordinator in here in the offseason. And I think we'll still have that discussion at the end of the year, depending on how this shakes out. But And I think he would just be wise to consider it anyway, just from a you know, improving whatever you can angle to stuff, but like the run game can't be having problems like that. That was no, always his no. biggest selling point. So like we, we got to get that figured out and it's certainly not going to get any easier this week against the box who are right where the Falcons are in terms of the run defense. Um, now I'll give the Falcons credit. They seem to sort of play to the quality of their opponent. <laughs> so like they've actually had some of their better like run games against teams that were actually pretty good at defending the run and they've had some like the, the, the commanders were terrible at defending the run and they had like one of their right. best games so you know I, I don't really know how to explain that so we'll see if the falcons can can get this get this going but huge game coming up this week against tampa uh for basically what will be first place in the division the falcons win this game yeah. they will have control of first place in the division they'll have a 2-0 nfc south record they'll have a head-to-head win over the bucks um and the chance to sweep because if they win this they'll have just to play them at home where the Falcons theoretically are better. And also they'll have a chance to, you know, Ritter's home streak got broken. So can we, bro- can we break the road streak too? That would be nice. Um, <laughs> but mostly was, they just got to. It was a week yeah. of, uh, yeah, yeah. Say, it was just like around the league. It was a week of, of streak breaking. You know, yeah. all of a sudden everyone thinks Brock Purdy is human again because yep. he lost the regular season game. The Eagles lost. Um, yep. I mean, just no, no matter where you look at it, it was just, it was just one of those weeks. It was a sloppy week all around. Uh, yeah. You know, like the Eagles lost to the Jets. I think a lot of people didn't realize that. Uh, Jalen Hurts. Tyrod Taylor picks. almost beats the Bills. Yep, yep. So it, it was kind of a weird weird week. Uh, but look, you know, the Falcons, they, they got to find a way to start winning games uh, like that they should win. Like they should have beat the Agreed. Commanders. They outplayed them. Um, Agreed. So they, you know, the Bucs are, a, I, I think, are a tougher test. So can they now beat? them you know can they beat the bucks uh because if they beat the bucks then they go into a three-game stretch where they're probably expecting to win two of the next three um if not three of the next three if you're being really generous to yourself but Mm -hmm. um you know it it, let's see it you know this week let's see it so yeah i I, i'm with you like i said look three and one at minimum needs to be the expectation going into the bye week yeah i mean i i would think so i mean yeah if they beat the Bucks, then I think we'll be expecting them to go three and zero over the next. Then the you next go four and zero. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah, I, I mean the Titans look pretty much lifeless, other than Derrick Henry, and the Falcons are good at stopping the run. Um, the Vikings are, you know, the Vikings. And uh, <laughs> what was the deal with? Uh, well, I mean, in, even when we look at availability, I don't know what the case is with Tannehill. I know he got yeah. hurt um, in the in the in the London game, so you might have to go against another young quarterback. Yep. In that one, uh, I believe Justin Jefferson will still be on IR. That's right. Um, when you play the Vikings, so you're looking at a, a stretch here where there is no excuse, in my opinion, to yeah. Yeah. to lose games. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even the Cardinals. Like, I'll give the Cardinals this: their run attack is better than what I expected. Yeah. Now that being said, James Conner has been out. So that that also plays a hurt on things. It's part of the reason why yeah. they lost, uh, you know, this week against the Rams. But still, looking at that game, they're not a joke. Yeah, they're not a joke. Yeah, but... they're they're not a joke. But still, I'd say for this team, this Falcons team, and what they want to do, no excuse to lose that game either. Yeah. And then because like I, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the schedule, <laughs> and it just bothers me so much right now that we're three and three. Yeah. Because. Looking at it, I mean, at first when the when the schedule first came out, you'd say it was Aaron Rodgers, right? Week thirteen against the Jets. Mm-hmm. The best quarterback you're going to play this year, at least in the regular season, is Jared Goff. Yeah, like it's that's I think part of the frustrating thing of being three and three right now. Um, but yeah, especially you know going down the stretch, and I know some people are saying Kirk Cousins. Well, I'm, I'm also let me put the caveat in in terms of. You're playing. You're facing Kirk Cousins without Justin Jefferson. So, so that there, there's, there's that <laughs> yeah. caveat with the two. Like, don't get me wrong, Kirk Cousins. I think he's a solid quarterback. But yeah. in terms of the weaponry and then also QB avail, uh, uh, I mean QB ability. I think the best quarterback you're facing this year is Jared Goff. So yeah. 
it's really just on the offense. Been, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look, yeah. the next the next four weeks, like we said, this is what we're talking about. Baker Mayfield, maybe Ryan Tannehill, if not, it's Malik Willis, Kirk Cousins, again, without his best receiver, and Josh Dobbs. Yep. Three and one has to be, at minimum, what you do in these next four weeks. At least give us a good game against the Bucks. Like if you if you don't win it on the road, that's fine. But like, look like you belong in the same conversation as the Bucks. So there's going to be yeah. problems. <laughs> and I mean to to that point, and I'll I'll even quote Arthur Smith from what he said in this press conference. You know the whole go through. Well, we did it against Tampa and the Rams last year. Well, here's the thing. Last year, if if we want to make comparisons to this year versus last year, you were in the game against Tampa last year. And I'm talking about when we were on the road where she had the horrible rough in the passer call against Grady Jarrett late, yep. but you were, you were right there with them and they had a better quarterback, right? Tom, talking about Tom Brady. So if you were with them last year, your team is better this year. It's time to make a statement in this division. Like people, people still want to know and have questions as, as you know, as I do, as I do too, who who's going to stand out in the NFC South? Who who's going to be that team? If you beat Tampa on the road, you have a better you you take a step safe. Maybe it's the Falcons. Then obviously you got to do it against the Saints too. Like coming into the year I said you got to sweep Carolina. If you go one and one with Tampa and the Saints, you will be fine. Go four and two in the division, you'll you'll be in a good spot. But shoot, go ahead and sweep Tampa too. Like yeah, go, go beat him on the road. Why, yeah. why not? So <laughs> yeah, go ahead and make that statement. But again, it's going to start up front. Push some people around. Don't let them push you around. Stop trying to look and and be cute in the trenches. That's not a cute position. Let, let's push some people around instead of getting pushed around like we have the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's what they need to do. They need to prove that they're the best team in the NFC South, and the way to do that is by being the team that most people think is the best team in the NFC South. So let's go do it. Like. This is the month like where you have to get your shit together. Like October is the the month where you figure out if you're going to get your shit together or if this is just who you are. Um, Agreed. So I will say that I think the offense the last two weeks has definitely been more productive than it has been for many of the previous weeks. And that's a good sign. Now you just have to stop making the mistakes on top of it. Like if you exactly. cut those interceptions out, you're probably winning this game by double digits. So Interceptions um, and those those penalties that, that yeah. just hit at the worst times. Yep. And you, you can't just take those out, obviously. But um, you, you need to do it and that they're getting closer yeah. now we just need to see it actually happen so i i'm still keeping the faith and i i think you are too but it it, it has to happen like soon it has to happen soon you know <laughs> like you bought yourself some some room with your early wins now you're back mm-hmm. to 500 you need to not drop below 500 or there's going to be problems um so and I you know agree. maybe you could afford it and then you win the next three but like just Let's not even have that conversation. Let's just beat the Bucks this week and then go from there. So, one thousand percent. All right. Well, Jordan, thank you so much, guys. Uh, appreciate everyone for watching us today. Make sure to like, subscribe. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, or leave us that five star review on your podcast platform of choice. Today's show was brought to you by Bet Online, and my co-host is Jordan Watkins at Big Seventy Five. Fellow Jordan, tell the people where they can find you elsewhere and anything else that you're working on. Um, yeah, you can find me again on the Falcon Fade podcast. We do a recap show. I think it's actually airing right about now in the Atlanta area. Um, and then also we'll do a re a preview that goes out on Saturdays. Clint Goss and I, you know, it's a fun time doing it. He does a great job of being prepared, ready to go. So check that out. Um, and yeah, if you live in the Bay area, you want to see some high school football. I've been coaching at Skyline High School up in Oakland um that's been a bunch of fun those kids they they they, they work my nerves but there's there's so much fun to, <laughs> to coach and, and be with on a weekly basis so yeah that's where you can find me cool that sounds like a lot of fun uh so definitely check jordan out guys i'm kevin knight at falcoholic kevin uh make sure to join us on wednesday night for the next episode of falcoholic live and then of course we'll be back with the game preview after that and then right on into the next game so falcons this is this is your official, you know, warning to get your shit together. Okay, like this is this is this is the time. Now we need to do it. We've got a division. Don't game make me up, lose so. my voice again. Yeah, we got a division game coming don't, up, so this yeah. is the time to get your shit together. So um, don't don't make do, me yeah. lose my voice again. Falcons, Look at what please. you've done to Jordan. Look at what you've done to this man. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, it was my first game this week as D coordinator. 
Um, we only oh, gave man. up seven points, so shout out to the defense. The only yep, bad yep. news is we scored zero on offense, so well, that's tough know. to win that way. But yeah, so I had to yell on Friday. Um, yep. You know, I was I had talked all day Saturday. I was I was working in a, a football event for a youth league, and then I was yelling on Sunday. So yep, yep. please don't don't make me lose my voice again. Though, yeah, let this I, man I, I let beg. this man rest. This man have <laughs> yeah. some fun, some enjoyment. So. Also, exactly. I would be good if I could have that too. So th- thanks, guys. But yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Dirty Birds and Brews. Uh, until then, have a great day, folks. We'll see you then. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.